All right, good morning, everybody. Brother Tucker, I tried to give up lying, you know, and didn't work this week. I told y'all we were going to go on to Titus this week, but it uh, didn't work out that way. Um, I think it's the will of God. I didn't feel like we had good closure uh, to the book of Nehemiah last week. I just think that um, we didn't get to really give it a, a fit conclusion, and so we're going to be in Nehemiah another week. So we'll go to Nehemiah 13 with me. Thank you for your patience. Hope uh, the Lord will speak to your heart this morning. Uh, Titus will be our next book of study, but that will be a little while uh, down the road because of some interruptions. I don't want to get in the middle of a book and then get interrupted. So we're going to have uh, do something else. I'm going to give you some homework at the end of class for you to work on for next week. But... Um, but we will get to Titus over in June, so I'll be looking forward to that. So just as a way of review, I want to go back and, um, and just uh, touch on a few things. Um, we talked about, in chapter 13, we talked about uh, how Nehemiah came back and how he charged them with their... Uh, it, well, actually, before he left, in chapter 12, he charged them with their duty... And we saw their dedication, but then in chapter 13, last week, we saw that there was also a decline, that unfortunately they had fallen away from the Lord, they had declined, and then we saw how they were delivered again, and, and we're going we're gonna to pick up with that. I just want to have a little bit of review from chapter 13, and I want to see that the reason, and remember that the reason that they declined there were two things that were absent in their lives. And number one is found in verse one, where it says, On that day they read in the book of Moses. So in my what the Lord has shown me here is that there was a, not a common uh, reading in the book of Moses going on while Nehemiah was gone. And also, there's a difference between just reading the book and actually heeding the book. Amen. So a lot of times we just read or we just come to church and we hear it, but we're not having the mind to apply it, to obey it. And so therefore it doesn't profit us. Amen. And that was one of the reasons for their decline. The other one was found in verse six. And that was the fact that it says in verse six, but in all this time was not I in or at Jerusalem. So the other absence was the absence of the man of God. And so the conclusion of that matter was for us is that we need authority in our life. Amen. We must have some authority over us in order to correct us, to reprove us, to continue to keep us straight, and even to encourage us, amen, when we are doing right. But we only know that if we have some type of authority, some type of standard, some over, uh, person or, or uh, even higher than that, the Word of God and God Himself directing our lives, Amen. And so, again, you know, God has established a, a local church, a New Testament church, to have a, a head, uh, the Lord Jesus being the head over the church, and under Him be, to be a pastor. And the pastor has authority in the church. Amen. And therefore, you know what I'm saying, but that, that authority will do you no good unless you recognize it and submit yourself to it. And then if you do, then you'll have the benefit of God working in your life through that to correct you and get you back on track. We were talking about, you know, it, where uh, Samuel and Faith go to school at in Pensacola, 
you know, they are, there's all kind of people there. In every school, there's all kind of people. They come from different backgrounds, and they come together. And one of their friends, unfortunately, their family has not really been involved in a local church for 10 years. And I'm like, oh, that's, a, that's tragic. You know, I mean, what happens to a person that is not connected to a local assembly for a period of time? There's only one direction you can go. You can't even coast, Brother Brad, for very long because what happens is we just start declining. You can only coast one direction, and that's downhill. You know, so it's like we always have to be resubmitting ourselves to the Lord through His Word and through the man of God that God has ordained, that He's called, that He's empowered to stand up and preach the gospel and preach the book to us. Amen? And so then, I just want to say uh, quickly that the way back is to get back in the book, to look in the book, submit ourselves to the book, and then to get close to the man of God and to give him a rightful position and authority over us that when he stands up, we believe that God uses him to speak to us. Amen? And if we do that, then we'll have what, what happened to these guys. We'll be able to get ourselves recovered. Okay? And... Um, I will say that they, this loss that they had, this decline that they had, the revival that they lost, because remember they had experienced revival from chapters 8 all the way through chapter 12. They had just had some amazing times there, but the revival they lost because they lost their closeness with their relationship with God. And then when that happened, guess what? Then their, their home suffered, which we'll see some more of today. Then, of course, the church suffered. They said that we will not forsake the house of our God, but they did, okay? And then, guess what? Society suffers. And then, ultimately, the nation itself begins to decline. And uh, God help us, because, well, we've sure seen uh, that happening in our country as well. So, chapter 13 in the book of Nehemiah, we'll start there today. I believe uh, that probably... This is the last recorded words of the New Testament. I mean, of the Old Testament. Uh, because, you know, Malachi, we already know he was on the scene here before this happened. Okay, so those, those prophets that, that ministered after the exile were probably already ministering and their books had probably already been, been recorded. And so now we have Nehemiah at this period of time. What's going to happen after these words in Nehemiah 13? What's going to happen? silence, nothing, nada, no word from God, not for a decade, not for a century, but for four centuries, 400 years of silence. And what's going to break that silence? It's going to really be that angelic appearance when he, when they come to Zacharias and say, "Hey, you're about to have a child. You're about to have a son," Amen. When John the Baptist begins to be announced to come on the scene, the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But that's a long period of time to go. So it's like they've got this window of opportunity right here to respond. This is like their last opportunity, and after that, God's gonna He's gonna shut it up. He's gonna be no word from heaven for a long time. Have you, ever, have you ever sensed that or ever seen that in a person's life where you know that this right now is the moment? And if, it, if we don't make the right decision right then, or if they don't make the right decision right then, it's going to be a long time. You ever sense that? Brother Roger, I can remember, I can remember the service 
over here at Forest Wood Baptist Church. At, uh, Brother Malcolm Ellis was preaching over there. This is around 2010. It had been at least 12 or 13 years ago. And uh, it was one of those services where God moved in a mighty way. He was preaching out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And that word present. And it was one of those times where God was moving and I was there with my oldest son, Dennis. And man, I, I knew God was saying, this is your chance, son. This is your chance right here. And man, I, he, he gave the invitation. I went down and I prayed and I just asked God to have mercy that he would respond. And I just prayed. I didn't want to raise my head up. I didn't want to do nothing. I just want to talk to God. And then when it was over and I got up, he was still sitting right there. And I knew, I said, well, He's going to have to go back. Now, it's been 13 years. My son's not in church. He's not right with God. Y'all know what he's been through, some of you. He's went through a divorce. His kids are here with me today. It's been a whole lot of bad things that happened, but there was an opportunity right there. There's a season. There's a space of repentance that God gives. There's a season and a moment. And if you think you're guaranteed another moment, you're mistaken. You better move when God is moving. And for the Israelites, this is their moment right here. It's their time. And um, so Nehemiah, the man of God, is back on the scene. And I want to look and I want to ask you some things about him for a minute. First of all, what made Nehemiah so successful in what he did? How is it that Nehemiah, nothing happens in Jerusalem for 80 years as the people are there. The wall can't get rebuilt. Now, thank God Zerubbabel came over with a group and they rebuilt the temple, but they just stalled right there. And nothing's happening. And Nehemiah shows up and in 53 days they build the wall. How is that? He reestablishes order in the house of God and society within a year probably, and then, then he goes back. How was he able to accomplish that? What is it about him? I prayed about that. I think about that. It's like, I want to be like him. Would you all agree that Nehemiah got things done? Amen? Okay, how was that? How is it possible that he did that? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, Let me say what I don't think it was. I don't think it was his personality. Although I think he had a good personality. He had a strong personality. I, don't, I think he was strong-willed, Brother Stewart. And I don't think that's enough. I don't think that was... I think he's very passionate. I think he had zeal. I know he had courage. Yeah. Let me tell you something. In order for, for a person to have courage, to, well, to manifest courage, there has to be something else. You know what that is? For courage to be manifest, first there has to be fear. Because if there's no fear, you can't manifest courage. So he, he had courage. But there was a lot of things pressing on him. And there's no doubt there were times when the enemy was coming against him that he had some fear, but he overcame it by trusting God. And the key is found in chapter 2, verse 8, where he says that the good hand of my Lord was upon me. The good hand of my God was upon me. So the reason was why he was successful, the key to that was that God was working in him and through him. Now the question is, why was God using him in the way he was? 
Because it was God that was doing it, and he repeated that not only in, in uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 8, but he repeated it two other times there in chapter 2. And so, with that in mind, if God is doing the work, and he's doing it through this man, uh, Nehemiah, then what was it about him? And I'll say this is what I found about Nehemiah was simply this. He was faithful. He was faithful. According to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, what is required of a steward? To be faithful. More was required of a steward that he be faithful. That's what God requires. He just requires that we be faithful. And so, Nehemiah was a faithful servant. He was a faithful steward. And so, why was he faithful? I want to look at that. Let's look at chapter 13, verse 7. And we'll see that it, that it says in verse 7, And I came to Jerusalem and understood. So, the first thing I want to say about Nehemiah is the reason he was able to be faithful is because he cared. He came to Jerusalem again. Amen. Now, he went the first time. Man, remember when he heard the news in chapter 1? He heard about what was happening in Jerusalem, how the wall was still, and the whole society was in a mess. They were vulnerable. They had all these problems. He was broken about it, remember? Because he cared. So the first thing is nobody's going to get anything done for God unless they care. The care is like the why. You know, it's what is important, yes, but but what's not going to get you through if you don't have a big enough why? If your why is big enough, you'll figure out a way. Y'all follow me with that? It's like I heard say that, um, just talk about this just from a a secular standpoint for a minute, but I heard say that that Henry Ford had a vision of every home in America having a car. We'll say, well, that, that seems reasonable, right? But realize at that time, there were no roads. But you know what he realized? It wasn't his problem to build the roads. Okay, somebody else will figure that out. I'm going to build the cars. And then we got to figure out what God wants us to do, not worry about everything else. But God's got it under control. And believe it or not, he can use other people too. And he does. And so Nehemiah said, this is my time, and he cared about what was going on there. He was broken about this, and so because of this, he went the first time, and that's the same reason that he came back the second time. Now, just thinking about that, coming to Jerusalem the first time, and then coming again a second time, just, does that remind you of anybody? Coming once? And then after a period of time, coming again, you see, you see the, the Lord Jesus Christ, a picture of Him here in Nehemiah. So let's go to chapter, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 23. I want to show you something here regarding this point of caring from the Lord Jesus' life. Matthew chapter 23, right here at the very end of the chapter. You see the Lord Jesus' heart here. You see His tenderness. Look at where He's at in verse 37. Sitting here outside the temple. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. Doesn't sound like they've been very nice to the men of God, but look at Jesus' heart. He says, 
and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Ye would not. You see the Lord's heart there? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 13. He was like, I would, I would have just gathered you up and just protected you and taken care of you, but you wouldn't have it. He cared. You see his heart's broken there over the condition of, the, of his people there in Israel. So what about the Lord Jesus? Um, what was his, what did he say in John chapter 4 uh, was his meat? John chapter 4 verse 34, what did he say his meat was? To do the will of his Father. He said, my meat. Remember he said, I have meat you know nothing of. His disciples asked him, they said, oh, you got a sandwich while we were gone. He said, no, I got a different kind of meat. He says, my meat is to do the will of my Father. And so then the other thing that he said in John chapter 8 and verse 29, he said that not only was it his meat to do the will of the Father, but he said at the end of verse 29 in John chapter 8, he said, I always do this. What is the thing that he always did? He's, I pleased my father. I pleased him that sent me. Yeah. He always pleased him. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know the reason you were created? Can you tell me from, John, from Revelation chapter 4 verse 11? Can you tell me the reason you were created because of, from that verse? For his pleasure. All things were and are created for His pleasure. All things. I think that includes you, Brother Oakley. I'm pretty sure it includes me too. God made me for His pleasure. So that's what Jesus said. I always do those things that please my Father. It's my meat. It's to do His will. And I see this in Nehemiah here. And I see pictures of the Lord Jesus in Nehemiah Himself. And look, if anything good happens with us, it'll be because we're letting Jesus work through us. Amen. And letting Him be who He is because He still cares. Amen. And so Nehemiah, there's many other pictures that we can see of him and how he dealt with the enemy. Remember when he came the first time, he had to, he had to overcome the enemy, and he did. He completed his mission that God sent him on of dying on the cross and raising from the dead to defeat the enemy. And Colossians even says he made a show of them openly. He made it open and known to everybody that he raised from the dead. He defeated his enemies. And then we see in the second coming of Nehemiah, He's going to have to deal with these enemies again, but this time he's going to put them out. Amen? And so look what happens here. What's the, so the first thing, why was Nehemiah faithful? Why was he able to do the works? Because he cared. And the second thing is, because that was his why, then what he was able, and, and it caused him to take action. So if you care enough about something, you will take action. So the first action he took, we see in verse 7 through verse 9, is that he removed Tobiah from the chamber within the house of God. We talked about this last week. While he was gone, they, they quit tithing. The chamber was empty. So I guess Tobiah said, hey, y'all aren't using that room over there in the house of God. How about if I move in there and have me a little apartment there? Yeah, I guess, I guess he thought that was a good idea. But anyway, Nehemiah didn't think it was a good idea. Guess what happened? What did Nehemiah do? Y'all see what Nehemiah did here? He says in verse 8, 
He says, and it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth. He threw his stuff out, all of his household stuff in the chamber. He threw it out in the street. Not even politely. Probably didn't even care if he broke it. He said, get it out of here. Throw it out. Take it to the dump. Do whatever you want to with it, but it can't stay here. Man, there's some stuff in our life that needs to get out. Can't stay here. And and so, and, and you know what? We're talking about the house of God here. And I want to remind you that this church here, this group of believers, this is your church. Okay? If you want to keep your church clean, you've got to get some stuff out of our own life first. And then we've got to help other people. Amen? Let's cut off the gossip. Let's, let's, you know what it says about a backbiting tongue? What turns away a backbiting tongue? An angry countenance. You know what that means? When you cut them eyes on them and you look at them, they know they back up. You ever did that with your kids? Kids be sitting here on the pew, you know what I'm saying? You look over there and they're, they're, play, they're playing around or whatever and you cut that eye at them and they're like, whoa, they know it's time. That's what a backbiting tongue. When somebody, you catch somebody backbiting, you just cut the eyes at them first and see if they don't respond with that. That you know, that they know that you know what they did was wrong. That'll do it most of the time. And if it doesn't, then you may have to go a little bit further. But criticism and gossip, these are things that are, that are causing problems within the church. And let me just say this. Anytime that you try to reprove or help a brother, okay, you don't always get the response that you hope for. That doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Now, if you've got to pray about it, you've got to have wisdom, you've got to make sure you've got the right motive, which is reconciliation, always, and, and, and unity and God's glory, and you've got to make sure you've got the right spirit and attitude. And then one more thing you need to pray for is timing. Brother Rogers always taught me, you know, I'm just the kind of guy that's like, Okay, this, this is kind of the way I shoot, Brother, brother Stewart. It's like, okay, bam, aim, fire. You know what I'm saying? First I just fire, and then I aim sometimes. And Brother Roger's like, okay, you know, look, you got to wait till the window's down. You know, you just can't smash the window and try to do something with people. And Samuel had a situation at college with a, with a friend kind of in their group. Really, his, it was a brother of a friend. But he was just annoying and arrogant, and, and nobody really liked him. And he was trying to help the guy to realize some things about himself. He was critical against his brother. And, it, and, and anyway, he received none of it. Went nowhere, basically. And then after he called his parents, then they told him basically they couldn't hang out with Samuel and them anymore. Neither one of his brothers could because they were ungodly. You know, and nowhere in the Bible did it say that you were supposed to be mean to people. You know? <laughs> and he said, Philippians chapter 2. I said, well, he needs to read a little bit further on. I don't know, you know, he's taking one verse there, esteem others better than yourself. I think is where he was going with that. But I said, you need to read a little bit further on over into chapter 4 and see how Paul called out two women by name and said, you need to get this right. Didn't he, brother? So it's like, okay, maybe he's not reading. Maybe he hasn't got that far yet. But nonetheless, just realize that you're not always going to get the response that you're hoping for. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But the point is, is that if you're aware of it, it's kind of like the Ritz-Carlton credo, okay? Anybody ever stayed in a Ritz-Carlton hotel or you heard about it? It's known for service, right? 
That's what their, their call to fame is. And so the deal is, if there's uh, somebody has a concern or a complaint, I own it until I get it to the person that can actually do something about it. In other words, if you become aware of somebody that's, that's causing something that doesn't appear like it's creating unity in the church, you own it until you can get somebody else to take care of it. All right? And uh, so don't just pass it over like it's not your responsibility. This is your church. So the first thing that he did was he, rem- he removed, he rooted out evil from the house of God. The second thing he did was he, re- he rebuked sinners. In chapter 11, and I mean, excuse me, in verse 11, and in verse 17, and verse 25, and verse 28. And it got more severe. So he, he dealt with them in the Sabbath, okay? So remember, they're coming back into, the, uh, into Jerusalem again. Well, first of all, they're, they're, the Israelites are working on the Sabbath. We know it's a violation of God's law. Second thing is they're allowing people to come in and sell them stuff on the Sabbath. Violation of God's law, okay? So he shuts the gates of Jerusalem, it says, we're going to put an end to that. So we get the Israelites to stop working. We keep the other guys out. Well, the other guys keep showing up because they used to making money on the Sabbath, right? And so they show up one day, they show up two days, and then Nehemiah says, I told them, you show up another day and we'll lay hands on you. And they did not show up anymore. You know, it's like, you didn't get the hint, so let me be more clear. Let me be more straightforward about this. And, uh, and so and then it got worse when he dealt with the ones that had the mixed multitude, the ones that had married uh, women outside the Jewish race and outside the Jewish religion. And he said to the point where their kids couldn't even speak the Jews' language. They spoke the language of their heathen wives. And so he, he got more severe with them. And he, uh, he actually says he smote them. And then he says he plucked out some of their beard. I think he wanted them to get the point. This was bad. This was severe. And maybe they were resistant to it. I don't know. But we'll talk more about that and how he was able to do that in a second. And then lastly, he chased uh, the, the priest's son who had married a heathen woman. He chased him from the temple. And so look at the third thing. Not only did he rebuke sinners, but he also he restored order. He rooted out evil. He rebuked sinners. He restored order in the church. First of all, he started bringing the tithe back in in verses 11 through 13. Then he also restored it into society by establishing the Sabbath back again. And he restored it in the home by getting these marriages right. He, he called these women outlandish women. And who did he give as an example of how outlandish women can lead you away from the Lord? Who? Solomon. King Solomon. The wisest of the kings. The man beloved, even calls him beloved of the Lord. That's what his name means. He said if beloved Solomon with all of his wisdom was led out of the will of God by outlandish women, what do you think your chances are? Not good. Ain't going to happen. You've got to protect ourselves in the integrity and for your children and for your grandchildren I said this this morning, Brother Kevin, the number one. <clears throat> Listen, if you're married, you probably already got this figured out. <clears throat> if you're not married in here, let me give you the number one rule to success in life. Number one rule. You know what it is? Marry well. Marry well. That's my secret. 
I married well, and now God's blessed me. I've been successful. If you don't marry well, you're going to have major resistance in your life. Marry well. That's the secret. See, you married people agree with me, right? It's like, yeah, you're right. That's what happened. You marry up like I did, and look what. Man, God blesses you and brings you along. So my question now, with all this that Nehemiah did, these things, he cared, he took action, he did all these things. How was he able to do it? Was it because of his power? Or was it because of his authority? What do y'all think? You're probably wondering, what's the difference? Can I give you an analogy here to help you understand the difference? If you go down to the red light down here, and the red light's out, and there's a police officer out there directing traffic, okay? And a dump truck pulls up. The dump truck has power. Would you say the dump truck has more physical power than the officer there directing traffic? But what does the officer have? He has authority. And so when he says, whoa, what does the dump truck do? Whoa. You understand? Nehemiah had authority. I don't know anything about his physical stature, Brother Roger, and neither, none of us do. We don't, I don't think he was a muscle man. I don't think he was a, a Chuck Norris. You know, I don't think he had uh, seven world championships in judo and whatever else and karate and all these other things, but he had authority. He had authority. And where does his authority come from? Well, his authority came from the same place all authority comes from. It comes from God. Because anybody that's got authority has got delegated authority, and it's limited. Okay, but God has all authority because he's sovereign. So he gives it out as he chooses to whom he chooses. And he says, this is where you have, this is where you can work within. And I'll give you authority here. Nehemiah had authority authority because God gave it to him because of the word of God. He knew that everything he said, he could take out the book as he as he always did and say, this is why it's wrong. This is why you got to go. This is why. How was it that the Lord Jesus was able to walk into the temple and cleanse the whole temple and nobody tried to restrain him? Because he had authority. Well, how was it they said, whoa, he spoke as, not as the scribes speak. He spoke as one having authority. And since that, they said, wait a minute, when he speaks, it's different. It has power behind it because he has authority. And so... Nehemiah was able to do this because he was acting under the authority of God and his word. And so God then gave him power. And by the way, God's not only got all authority, he also has all power. He's sovereign and he's omnipotent. So he dishes it out how he chooses. Amen. And so the third thing that he did, and we'll finish with this thought. And this is why I really brought this back. This whole lesson I brought back because I could not leave this alone. Look what he says. In, uh, he, he says this three times. Look in verse 14 and look at those first two words. What does it say? Remember me. Look over in verse 22. 
in verse 22. And look at those words right there. At the, uh, at the beginning, of, excuse me, kind of in the middle of the verse, it says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this also. And then if you look over in verse 31, it says, "Remember." at the end of that verse, Remember me, O my God. Three times he said, Remember me. You know another reason why Nehemiah was able to be faithful? Why he was able to just continue on? Is because he was expecting a greater reward. Expecting a greater reward. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Y'all know this verse. I want to show you something here in this verse. So in chapter 12, here at the beginning of it, 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 it says, and we'll look into, we'll look at uh, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the, what? The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I just want to focus in on those two words. He, it was joy, but that was what he was, why he was going on, but he had to endure the cross. Did you know in the will of God there are some things that need to be endured? And so how are you going to endure them? You've got to look higher and further. You've got to look past that obstacle. You know what I'm saying? Somebody said one time, he said, um, to those that say it can't be done, Get out of the way of those of us that are doing it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I've got to look beyond what's in front of me, and I've got to look to something higher. And that's what Nehemiah did. He said, Lord, remember me for this. Lord, remember me for this. Lord, would you remember me for this? And he said, oh, yeah, by the way, he had to remember one more time. He said, Lord, would you also remember them? That was the enemies that came against him. He said, Lord, don't forget about them either. He said, but mainly remember me, Lord. He was expecting a greater reward. Y'all agree with that? We have to focus on that if we're going to be faithful. We're going to have to look uh, beyond it and really claim the promises of what God has said He will do. Amen. And uh, one day, you know, we'll be before Him. And then it'll be time to be rewarded. And so in the meantime, we need to be faithful. And I will say that in your faithfulness, that many times... God will bless you tremendously. Sometimes He'll even allow things to come out in the right way. You know, we talked about a while ago, you don't always get the desired result even though you do what's right. Sometimes you do get the desired result. A couple of weeks ago, I had an employee that was just causing a lot of problems. And man, it's the worst problems I've had in years. And it was just, it was bothering everybody on the team. Everybody wanted her to go, to go. And I was like a hair just from firing her. I just needed some relief. And... Um, and I was, I, for whatever reason, I just didn't that day. And, uh, and so I'm driving home, and I'm praying, and God says, I thought you said you was in the people development business. And I said, yeah, Lord, I did say that. He said, well, why don't you try first to see if you can one more time try to develop her. I said, okay. So I told Brent, and I said, hey, here's what we're going to do. So the next day, I had a lot, long talk down with her. You know what? It went about like Samuel's friend. She denied everything. Ain't never done nothing. No, they had never had a bad attitude. How come everybody on the team thinks you do? I don't know. They're all wrong. Yeah, whatever. Okay. 
All right. I said, well, that went over like a lead balloon. And then the next week, and that afternoon, by the way, she still had this. I said, that's what I'm talking about. And it seemed like after I pointed that out, something changed. I don't know how. I don't know who else talked to her or nothing about it. But the next week, she came in totally different. It was the person I expected her to be. And over the next week and a half, she became like the favorite employee of the whole team. And nothing changed about her skills. It was just her attitude. And a little bit more effort. Attitude and effort. So sometimes you get the result you're looking for. And it's like amazing when you do and you thank God for it. But no matter what, we need to be faithful. We're not, it's not based on the results in any way. Amen. And in being faithful, let me just close with this verse. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Now this is regarding spiritual warfare in particular. Okay, but I'm going to take the application that this applies to our lives all the time. This principle right here of which is mentioned in verse 11. And it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. And then if you look down at verse 13, at the end of that, and it says... And having done all to stand, stand. I think he wants you to get the idea of withstand is in there as well, that we're supposed to be standing. Holding our ground, Brother Kevin. You know what that, the ground has already been won, as I said before, by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're standing on victorious ground because of Him. And our job is not to retreat and give it up to the enemy. Don't give it up in our lives. Stand the ground. One of the... I can't help but think about those verses and that word and standing and not think about one of our heroes from days gone by, Stonewall Jackson. Thomas Stonewall Jackson. How did he get the name Stonewall? Does anybody ever remember that? First Manassas, the battle, it's not going that well for the Confederates. They're getting pushed back. And one of the other generals, Bernard B., he looks over and he sees Jackson on his horse out in front of his men standing, just standing right there. And he said, look at Jackson standing like a stone wall. He said, let's rally behind the Virginians. And he, the name just stuck, you know. But it was, he was just standing, just standing. Wasn't advancing, just standing. And uh, that's what we need to be doing. Standing our ground. Being faithful, Brother Tucker. Expecting a greater reward. Amen. Look beyond. That's what I'm going to leave you with is that thought. And then next week, here's your homework assignment. For next week. All right, we're going to talk about, we're going to hopefully learn some things about our God through His name. You know, when I talk to the Jehovah Witnesses out at the prison, they say God only has one name. It's Jehovah. I said, what about all the other things that the Bible says calls God? And they're like, well, that's his uh, office or his position or whatever, you know. I don't think so. I think his names tell us something about who he is. And the first thing I want to study is who God is through his four primary names. So your homework assignment is to find those four names in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, then in Genesis uh, chapter 14, and then in Genesis chapter 17, okay? So just read and find those four names. Identify what you can. We'll talk and dig in deeper. You're going to see one name for God in chapter 1, and that's it. Chapter 2, you're going to see a brand new name 
for God. And then you're going to see a couple other names for God in those other chapters, okay? All right, so you got your homework. That's what we'll, where we'll be next week, Lord willing. And I uh, look forward to seeing you then. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for God, uh, your precious book. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, our teacher, that reveals you to us. And Lord, I pray that we would have uh, uh, just an open mind and an open heart today as you use your man in the preaching hour now, Lord, to receive what you have for us by faith and to take action on it. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.